0: Hello and welcome back I'm Joe and I'm TJ and you're listening to season five of focus ed podcast where we cover all things education to help you lead better and grow faster by staying focused focus Head is a
1: collaborative program of work with our partners from the delaware department of education and
0: wilmington university we record each episode with a live audience and then blast them out to you from our website theschoolhouse 302.com itunes soundcloud and more don't forget to follow us at the schoolhouse
1: 302com to learn more about when episodes are recorded and for more school leadership
0: resources. As always, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Focus Ed, and we can't wait to hear from you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Focus Ed, where we invite expert guests to join us. And we are stoked for our guests tonight, Lee Rowland. Lee, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Having a turnaround principal, someone who's been so dedicated to education, dedicated to schools, dedicated to students in tough situations is something we are really excited to talk about, knowing how important it is. TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more about Lee? Sure
1: thing, Joe. Thanks for that. Lee Rowland has been a leader in education in the community for more than 35 years. He has served as a teacher, administrator, board member, principal, executive director, and pastor. He's a passionate speaker, practical trainer, and dedicated advocate for a better future for all. His book, Fantastic Voyage, which we're going to talk about this evening, chronicles his journey of leadership and radical change at Two Lakes Elementary. Voyage Consulting was born out of a desire to inspire, equip, empower others to believe, pursue, and achieve equity and success for all individuals, especially children in our community. Lee, we're going to jump jump into your book, which we're going to give away some copies at the end of the show. Fantastic Voyage, A Story of School Turnaround and Achievement by Overcoming Poverty and Addressing Race. First, we want to know what compelled you to write the book and what you want school leaders to take from it. And then we want to dive into the particulars of overcoming poverty and addressing race as school leaders. Uh, great question.
2: Please. I would never think I was competent enough or to, to write a book. I'm a speaker. I am a coach. I'm a mentor, all these things. But writing, I was encouraged, hey, you gotta write a book. People visited our school from all over the country, literally, and they said, hey, you have to tell this story. When you walk into your school, you can feel something different. And uh, one visitor said, and I just, I mean, just blessed me beyond measure. She was in tears, and she said, this must be what school is like in heaven. So forgive those listeners that don't believe in such a thing. That's fine. Just, it was tremendously honoring and encouraging to us. That's why I wrote the book. And the the charge on my life was to really try to make a difference in these children's lives and then try to see that this happens in other schools with children, poverty, children of color, children with a lot of ACE factors and things like this, we can do this. And so we were able to get it done. And what I want people to take away from it is take the content, take the content and use it, make it your own. I tell everybody, uh, you don't have to be a Michelin tire, just get the round concept, put your name on it. We don't care. We were able to kind of, get a wheel, and we just wanted others to really borrow and just personalize it for their own schools. But we want to see those concepts happen in every school.
0: And Lee, we'll dig into the concepts a little more, but your answer just sparked a little bit in me regarding maybe not seeing yourself as an author. And I don't necessarily want to go down that road, but there are listeners I'm sure that lack confidence as administrators. They may not even see themselves right now with the tools, the ability to turn around. To school to make a difference in these kids' lives, especially as the year wanes on. Can you just talk a little bit about that imposter syndrome, just some of those doubts and that quitting mind that creeps in at times, and how you you know really fought against that and prevailed?
2: Yeah, what I love about being a leader and things like this. This is really not being a really doing what I did, writing a book and and overcoming formidable odds that we overcame at Tulane was that this is really not a skill set thing as much as it is a mindset. So, you know, we've got people writing about mindset and it's everything. In fact, I was coaching some kids the other day and these are high school kids. And one of the kids was telling another kid, it's your mindset. And so what I want to encourage our listeners, if you have the mindset, a kind of a growth mindset, I can do this. I can do this. We got inspiration when we were a kid saying, I think I can. I think I can. I know I can't. You can do this, but it's It's really about the heart and the mind. And I believe that combination thereof. We can do anything. I just want to encourage our educators, especially this time of year where we start to, that energy and passion can start to wane just a little bit, lean into somebody else, borrow that, get some of my energy and just take it and apply it. Just put on a little bit of it. I'm telling you, a dab will do you. You're all too young. My audience listeners are too young, but just a dab will do you. Just a belief that you can do this.
1: That's great. Just a dab dabble- do you? I was wondering when you were talking and the energy that you're bringing and your own growth mindset, were you always that way? Or did something change your mind and spark an inspiration in you to have a growth mindset? Is that innate for you? Or is that something that you have to work on?
2: Well, I think early on, kind of just in my life, just really failure is not an option. And just feeling the charge from when I first got to my the last school where I where I served. I was the leader. I didn't get a chance to say, I- I'm gonna quit or I'm tired. People look to me for hope and inspiration. And so I think I probably always had a desire not to let others down. And I certainly don't want to let people down that were seeing me as the hope. So I'm a father, I'm a community leader, and I don't want to let those people down. I'm here to serve people and to try to make a difference. And I think if we have that mindset, did I always have it? Probably yes. And I, I think for those that don't believe in themselves, you've got to find some energy because other people, these kids are looking to us, these staff members, these parents are looking to us as leaders for hope and inspiration. They want us to make life better for their children.
0: Lee, that mindset's so critical when you're facing significant challenges. Let's dive into that a little bit. When you were working in the inner city schools, especially addressing poverty, racial disparities, can you discuss some of those specific strategies or initiatives you found success with?
2: Absolutely. One of the things I think that America's very guilty of, especially here in Oklahoma and whatnot. I have training and presentations I do about the the elephant in the room, and I think the elephant in the room is the way I live and the way I see things versus the way you live and the way you see things, and race and poverty are two of the ones that I think people just make assumptions that the way I do, where I live life is the right way, the best way, the only way, and I was very intentional about bringing down those walls, and so as a leader. And I don't think I did it because I was black. I believe I did it because that's what I saw. I saw my predominantly Caucasian staff members looking at people that didn't live like they they lived. And it was not bad, but it was not good. And so I was very intentional About addressing the elephant in the room. So, I do training and presentations based upon really what I experienced early on at that school. There was people that there was a huge chasm between my staff and my students, and I had to close that. And so, the poverty or the way the lifestyle. And the culture and just the way people lived, and some thrived and some survived. I said, We've got to do something about this. And so, one of the things that we implemented just for my students really was, and and this was fairly novel in our area. This was, we were the first ones in our school district to even broach the idea of doing some uniforms, wearing uniforms. And I'm just telling you, I'm not suggesting it. I'm just saying it made a difference in our school. It made a difference with our staff. We started to dress like the way our kids were dressing, which was in a uniform. And it's just, we thought we were not something obligatory that we had to do. We thought, We thought we were a team. We thought we were a business. And our staff and our students approached it that way.
1: I'd love you to unpack maybe some of the obstacles to that and how you overcame them, because I can hear some people thinking, oh boy, uniforms. And I can buy into that, right? Like it's an outfit. You don't have to worry about a fresh outfit every day. It's easier on parents. We can make it really cheap. Some things we can keep at the school and provide for students. You know, the teachers probably don't want to dress down if the kids can't dress down there's a lot that goes with it. I can also hear people thinking about their communities, their districts, their school boards saying, I don't know if we want to go that route. What are some of the barriers and how did you overcome them?
2: I think that we give John F. Kennedy credit for this. And I think I've been giving credit. He wasn't the one that coined the statement, actually. But I think the greatest fear is fear itself. And I think most people... Fear, oh my goodness, I'm scared of what this might do. We did our homework and just kind of polled some people and tried to find out again what people would have, why they might be opposed to it and just kind of started to answer those questions and put those soft feelers out there. And we got, I I strongly want to encourage all of our audience, you've got to work with your leaders and this is not new, this is not me rolling, but you got to work with your designated leaders and your undesignated leaders. Those undesignated leaders might have more influence on those who uh, than those who are designated as such and you got to build relationships with those people you got to be intentional about it it's not going to happen accidentally and whatnot but when people are intentional about leaning in and kind of crossing the line they don't come in your office they don't come into this space you got to go into their space and build relationships with them tell them that your child is cute tell them oh man i love the way your room is just build those relationships we've heard it said and i think sometimes it kind of we get busy and focus on some of these, again, these required things that we have to do, but we got to make those deposits with those people and I went in and I did that. I was intentional. I didn't have to fake it. I like people. I wouldn't want to be a leader without like I love people. I love serving people and I think when people see your heart for whatever it is that you're trying to do, more often than not, people will draw, they're drawn to that. You're a magnet and I'm interested and I'll just share with our audience again the union leader at my school said when, uh, she wrote she got a copy of the book and she sent me an email she said i remember as the union leader when you first recommended us considering that she said do you see that guy's heart do you see his heart our heart is synonymous with a whole lot of terms, but I just want to encourage you to love the people that you lead, and I'm telling you, it is the magic that can then occur between the students, the parents, and the staff. The magic that can occur there is just contagious, and it's just mind blowing.
0: Yeah, I want to tease out a couple things oh, because that was a powerful answer, and I don't want it to go over some people's heads. One, fear presents itself, but it's often not real. So we absolutely ha- yeah. yeah. So we have- have to just keep that on the forefront. You also discuss about putting soft feelers out. I think that's a great strategy. Get a pulse, know what people are thinking, and that you tied that directly to the designated and undesignated leaders. We often overlook, I think, which is a mistake. Those undesignated or untitled, but they have enormous amount of influence.
2: Incredible. And, and let me add this to this. I lost the thought while I was speaking. I get so amped up. I guess sometimes. But but this the concept of collapse. Collaborative leadership, I want to encourage everyone to lean in to just due diligence and research and collaborative leadership. If you're leading alone, I don't care if you're a principal, I don't care if you're a dad, I don't care if you're a pastor, I don't care what business you're in, that's problematic. You need assistant coaches You need captains, so that point guard or whoever is the captain on that floor, you need those people on your side. I would love to help anybody address and try to look at the collaborative leadership, and that is kind of an all-for-one, one-for-all, finding leaders and letting those people, they'll tell you in a private conversation where they disagree. You get them, you all have that conversation, visit, and then you put your thoughts together, and now the two people champion this cause. Three people, four people, it becomes contagious.
0: Absolutely. I want to just take this a little bit different area, just from a very specific point of view. Did you work with the community, Ali, with helping with costs and just, you know, working with the uniforms? And I know that might even seem silly, but we do get caught up in the weeds at times. And I know that might be thinking, but in high poverty areas, you know, somebody might see that as a roadblock, but did you make any community relationships? that really benefited you as well.
2: Yeah, part of my story is one of the things that we did early on, I looked at my parents and my families, and many of us in education, we went back to education because we had success there when we were kids. So we returned back to the scene of a non-crime. It was a place to nourish me. I had success. I won, whatever. Many of our parents, that school is was the scene of a crime. It was not a place where they were successful and whatnot. So one of the things we did when I first got to my school is we had a dance. No strings attached with food. Those people came and the people that provided the food came. You should have seen this party. And what I, I mean, it just happened. I didn't even know what I was doing. But this party that had no strings attached, we weren't asking them for anything. My staff was out there dancing with them. We had brought in a local band. I'm telling you, it started a chain reaction. So absolutely, the churches in the area, the businesses in the area, I was polling those people, asking those people in advance, now I know I'm going to run into this obstacle. Cost. Can you help me? Well, those people were out there just really kind of championing our cause, seeing that there's something that's different is about to happen here at our our local school.
1: Yeah, Lee, I really like the way you phrase that in terms of a scene of a non-crime versus a scene of a crime. And obviously, we're not going to take that fully literally, although I'm sure there are some people who could remember some things that happen in their schools that are literal in in that case. Many people come into the school and they don't feel comfortable there because they weren't comfortable there when they were students. That's resonating with me. You started with the dance. Are there some other nuggets of wisdom that you could give us in terms of making sure that this school is a beacon of hope in the community and that people are well, come back there, even if they didn't feel welcome when they went to school. Yes,
2: uh, absolutely. Unequivocally. I am working with some schools here locally. And one of the things I want our audience our leaders here to hear, you got to capitalize every time you get those people into your space, every time you get them in your school. So I would go into the cafeteria and I'd see parents and I'd sit down and visit with parents and just build relationships there. But all the events that we do at school, we were intentional with every event that we had. Once we saw, oh, people come to school, they come here for this. They come here for Christmas parties. They come here for Valentine's parties and things like that. And we made sure that if they came to an event, a choir event, any kind of thing, everything we did, we tried to seize the moment and build relationships and connect with them and be very intentional about the message. School, school, school leaders, we have to be our own best advertisement, promotion. We've got to tell people what you're going to get here at this school, at this store. The businesses do it all the time, the churches. But we got to let people know that my school is special and we're special. We love your kids. We're here to make a difference. So when my parents came to pre-K enrollment, you know, everybody came. I mean, that was a big deal or kindergarten graduation or any ceremony that we did. I got in front of them. Other staff members got in front of them and we championed our school. We let them know about our love, our desire to make a difference in the lives of their child. Just let thank them because parents have choices now and we wanted to thank them for trusting us and we were asking them to trust us to take care of their children.
0: So much of what we've discussed so far Lee is focused on setting the right environment, culture. I don't want to lose sight of the fact that you said love your people. That really struck me because I think love is such a strong word but it definitely speaks to openness and the idea of collaboration. That said, you also made significant gains academically. It's not just building the right environment. That environment led to what's most important, which is learning. And can you speak to that and how that transcended into the classroom and really met with students where they were and helped them learn?
2: Absolutely. So I'm not a magician, but let me tell you what. We make this thing much harder than it needs to be. If kids have a desire to come to school, so their absences are reduced just five days a year. They come to school five more days. If teachers' absences are less, those things right there translated over to student learning. So our children were trying to come to school. I mean, you know, it was pre-COVID and all that stuff. But our children were trying to come to school sick because school was a wonderful place to be. Academically, our students start to make gains just in their attendance, just in my teacher's attendance. So we made gains there. But let me go back to this love thing. Many of our children of poverty, urban, they don't quite, that term education doesn't quite resonate and connect with them because they don't quite see the connection between, let me get education and I'm going to go be a psychologist. I'm going to go be a researcher. They don't understand that. So let me go back one more time to, that thing of love when our staff loved our kids they really were concerned about the students outcome so i don't know if i've shared it in the book but my teachers were starting to ask the students what kind of job did i do today i mean they were asking students to grade them Uh, we gave our children an effort grade every day every day what your effort was We had teachers that were telling students now, what was my effort? How well did I explain things? So when that love affair really started, we were concerned about how well the students were doing. And I wanna share this lest I get to rumbling and miss this. My students were, this excellence wasn't a connecting with them, they knew that the teacher wanted them to do excellent. And because of their relationship with the teacher, the teacher was disappointed when the children didn't master the skills. My students worked hard. And we were very passionate about the academic. Every morning, teachers want you to teach them well from bell to belt. And I went in and watched that and observed that learning and gave them feedback. I want to tell people, make time for that make time to walk, go in classrooms not because you have to because it's required because it's part of but do it because you want to see what's going on you want to support those teachers you want to let those kids know hey i'm a part of this process with you i That office is just where I I put my laptop down, but no, your environment is where I want to be.
1: There is so much to unpack in that short quip there, Lee. I mean, I wrote down, teach them well from bell to bell. That's got to be a motto. That's got to be a mantra for everybody. The fact that you're getting into classrooms, not just because it's part of what we do, but because you care to see the students learning and that effort grade every single day. That's something that can really give students a shot of dopamine if they do well and also the feedback for what they need to do tomorrow to reach that reach towards the excellence that you described. I mean, it's incredible. We could go on and on with that part, but I do want to transition a little bit some leadership questions that we have that we ask on a regular basis of our guests that our listeners get a ton from. And I think the segue here is this question. If you could improve the student experience in every school, what would you want to see done?
2: Since social emotional learning, it's kind of gotten, depending on where you live, some negative connotations or something like that i would just say a whole person learning experience these children are so unique i think we've always been, but nowadays, we recognize it. And we see that we have emotional issues. We've got trauma. We've got kids from all kinds of backgrounds and things like that. So I would want to see a whole person learning. We've seen Dr. Jeffrey Canada, Ron Clark. We've seen people with energy. I want to see energy in the in the classrooms and children, uh, young people, just feeling like this is about me and it's not about something else. I am the agenda. I am special. And probably the thing that disappoints me the worst or the most is that some children, depending on their level of engagement, they just get kind of overlooked or pushed out. And we got to make sure that it's inclusive for all of our kids. I mean, we heard it. It was part of the law, no child left, but I want to make sure that every child feels like this teacher is about me. Out of the 20-something kids, every one of them think I'm the favorite kid.
0: Yeah, I love that. I am the agenda. Lee, is there an individual or group of individuals within education or outside of education that you follow for advice, guidance, leadership? I
2: give this a lot of thought, and I talk to a lot of people about my thoughts on education. And this past Sunday, I went to an event, and I just really kind of, I've always loved Ron uh, Ron Edmonds' work and the effective schools, which was done in the early to mid seventies. And that's, and he said, we can whenever and wherever we choose, successfully teach all children whose schooling is important to us. And that has lived with me ever since I got into education. I continue, I think new waves of things come along, but us making sure that we have the right leadership. So Ron Clark is, I mean, Ron, Edmonds is a guy that I always champion he's been gone he was gone too soon but he's one of my favorites
1: that's great we'll link to his work in the show notes the best we can and love to hear from you about what your favorite pieces of work from him are here you know after the show so we can get some links for the listeners I was wondering and our listeners love books you know leaders or readers we're going to give away 10 copies of your book on the show anybody who doesn't get it's going to buy it on Amazon I know it for sure after listening to you today. I'm wondering if there are books that you recommend in the realm of teaching, learning, or leading, anything that you would say, these are my go-to. I give away these the most often.
2: My first year at my last school, I championed because he's done such a great body of work, Dr. Juwanza Kanjufu. And the book that resonated to me the most was Black Students, Middle Class Teachers. But he's got a library of, I mean, just an assortment of books. I just think he's an expert and his body of work, I mean, it's to be celebrated and honored. So he's my guy, Dr. Juwanza Kanjufu.
0: Lee, as we begin to wrap up, is there something you mentioned, social, emotional learning, couldn't agree more, why it's taken on negative connotations? Who knows? I think that's all a spin on people's parts and trying to politicize certain things. We don't have to go down that road, sure. but we know it's good for kids and we champion most of that work and it's not new, as we know, not even remotely new. That said, is there something you wish someone would write about where there is a space in which there is more literature on that we just need to delve more into? I'm working on it myself. I'm
2: working on the concept. I trained on it, but I'm looking at writing a book on leadership. And my training says leadership. And I want people to understand the significance of the leader's role in schools. The energy, the excellence, the hard work, all of that, that the leader's influence is just tremendous. We will not find a successful school where we don't have successful leadership. It will not happen. And you can't necessarily make it excellent just by yourself, but you have to have, you got to lead before the people will follow. Give them something to follow. to aspire to. Something to work harder for. It's hard to be a teacher. It's harder today to be a teacher than it's ever been before.
1: Yeah, we love that and it's a great way to wrap up. You have to lead before people will follow and I think it also subscribes to The Law of the Lid by John Maxwell where the culture of the school cannot exceed the capacity of its leader. Absolutely. And so, thank you for that. We can't wait for that book to come out. We'll have you back on the show when it does. This has been wonderful, Lee. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Any other words Of wisdom, something that we didn't ask, or maybe an ask of our audience.
2: No, because I want them to remember to lead with love. It'll take you further than your skills, your passion, but lead with love.
1: Fantastic! You heard it here, everybody. Lead with love, Lee Rollin. Everyone, how about a virtual round of applause from our audience listening tonight? Lee, thank you for being on the show. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, and don't forget to follow the Schoolhouse302.com for podcast blog books to read, and more at schoolhouse 302com We'll be back soon with another episode of Focus Head. Until then, stay focused.
0: Hey leaders, before you go, one more announcement. We now have available for you our Candid and Compassionate Feedback Masterclass. Really, because of high demand, we are thrilled to offer this. This is a course that we run live and in person all the time and leaders love it they learn to give feedback with skills that they can use right away including better praise to lift and celebrate your team it's now available in a virtual online format that you can take on your own self-paced from the comfort of your office or home Here's what you'll get. There are 11
1: lessons with a focus on nine candor cancellations that we wrote in our Candid and Compassionate Feedback book. These are mistakes that leaders make that we don't want you to make anymore. We'll teach you models so that your feedback is meaningful and we'll give you tools necessary to build the culture that you always wanted. Trust us, without these critical skills, you're not capitalizing on your own capacity to lead better and grow faster. Go to the site schoolhouse302.com, click on shop courses, add this course to your cart and start learning today.